Dust off your passports, everybody, because on this episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast, we board a flight to India in the YA novel, The Marvelous Mirza Girls, from author Sheba Karim. Karim's book dives into the heavy topics of grieving for a loved one and the fear of moving on. Readers would get locked in watching the romance blossom between the protagonist, Noreen, and her very handsome tour guide, Kabir. We're joined by the talented Sheba Karim. She discusses her new release, how the Gilmore Girls helped to inspire the mother-daughter dynamic, and her must-go-to places when she visits India. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. So don't go away. Support for this podcast comes from Park Ave CDs. Purveyors of new and used vinyl and CDs, clever gifts, books, and more. This year, Park Ave CDs celebrates 37 years. They'll also be celebrating Record Store Day 2021 on June 12th and July 17th. Visit in-store or online at parkavcds.com for details. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Welcome to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I'm Veronica. (laughs) And it is May. And it is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Woo woo! So shout out to me. (laughs) (laughs) And, And all the Asian Americans out there. We rule, we rock, and we make this place great. Amen to that so today on our podcast we have a very special guest we have Sheba Karim uh she is the author of her newest novel that is set to be released next Tuesday May 18th um mm-hmm. the marvelous Mertza girls she is the author of YA novel skunk girl that thing we call a heart which make made several best book best book lists sorry i can't read today <laughs> best book lists including bank street and kirkus and Miriam sharma hits the road which was named a npr best book of the year her fiction and essays have been featured in 580 split asia literary review femina india today literary hub off assignment shenandoah south asian review the rumpus Time Out Delhi, and in several anthologies in the United States and India. She has an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop and is a writer in residence at Vanderbilt University. Welcome to the podcast, Ms. Kareem. How are you doing today? I'm I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you two doing? Doing all right. (laughs) right. We're good. We want to welcome you in our little space. we, you know, we made your your um, young adult novel, our young adult novel for the month of oh, May. Yay. Thank so, you. I'm so honored. 
Yeah. So, you know, we're going to get a little, a little feelings for the, for the teens, also for the adults. <laughs> but, but before we get started, this is something that we, we do with our YA authors. Do you, rapid fire. <laughs> we're all, you're going to do great. <laughs> so <clears throat> favorite place to visit in India. Goa. Favorite food to eat when you're in India? Oh, biryani. Your favorite Brian Adams song? Summer of 69 classic. Your favorite go-to karaoke song? Oh my God. Um, the Cindy Lauper one about the girls. Oh my God. The girls just want to have girls fun. Girls just want to have fun. Thank you. <laughs> that's one. also my husband's favorite karaoke song. Oh yeah. <laughs> we should do duet one day. Yes. <laughs> and, um, book that you're currently reading. I am currently reading this book. Oh my God. The title is about, uh, walking, walking cobble, like a woman's walks through the city of Kabul. That's not the exact title, but I'm paraphrasing it. Um, and it's, it's an amazing book. We can talk about it later. Okay. And when the world opens up again, where's, where's the first place you would like to go to? Uh, New York city. See my sister, <laughs> my friends. <laughs> Don't we all right. Yeah. <laughs> The world gets smaller and get more intimate. We just want to see the family. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're just going to go ahead and start talking about this beautiful book that you wrote. And uh, so our first question to you is, and to our listeners who are at home or abroad, we want you to tell us about your novel and the inspiration behind it. So, um, so my novels, it's a coming of age novel and it's about a, a young woman named Noreen Mirza. And um, when the book opens, she's, she's graduating high school and her aunt who she was very close to has died. And it's been almost a year, but she's still kind of in a, in a funk and still grieving. And she, writing is her passion. She hasn't been able to write. Um, she should be excited about college and she isn't excited the way she thinks she should be. And so her mother, and she's very close to her mother. And so when her mother gets an offer to relocate temporarily to New Delhi, Noreen decides this just might be her ticket, right? To, to, to getting out of this funk and, and figuring, figuring things out. So she decides she's gonna defer college year and move to New Delhi with her mom. Um, so they, they move to New Delhi together and there she um, meets Kabir and she falls in love um, both with Kabir and with Delhi. And, um, and sort of through this love affair and through being in a new place, um, she kind of relearns to love herself and get her groove back. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the inspiration behind it? Why did you decide to write this novel? Yeah, so um, I, I, I've always found it really, I love to travel. Um, so, and, and when I was, um, but the first time I ever actually, when, we, when I was young, my family would go like on family visits to Pakistan. But the first time I ever lived anywhere on my own was after college, I moved to London for six months. Um, and that was really cool. And then, but then I didn't live abroad again until I was in my thirties and I got a Fulbright to uh, do some research on a poor book in Delhi. So I moved to Delhi and I'm in my thirties and I just had this 
like life-changing experience, you know, and, and I, and I've been fascinated ever since then with how, um, and some of the things I think I realized about myself were things that were kind of always there, but I had to like move halfway across the world to figure it out, you know, and, and it's fascinating how sometimes things that should be obvious to you aren't until you put yourself in a completely unfamiliar place. And then suddenly you have these your realizations about yourself that um, you're like, how did I not see this about myself before? How did I understand this before? Um, so I, I had a really, you know, people talk about coming of age is something that happens when you're, um, you know, just, in, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, but um, I'm in my forties now and I feel, and I have two, two young kids and I feel like I'm still learning, you know, and like changing as a person and, and growing hopefully. Um, so it's almost like coming of age, you're always kind of coming of age. Right. And, um, so I thought it, but I thought it'd be interesting, you know, to write about that young coming of age experience like that, you know, that intense, especially that intense feeling of that first love. Right. Um, while also being in some place like Delhi, which, you know, I think Delhi is a city. I don't know anyone who's lived in Delhi and comes away from it the same person that they were when they arrived. And it, it could be that you have like a transformation, like a personal transformation, or it could just be. Um, that you've had your, your breadth of experience is so much bigger than it was before that you're not the same person, you know? So I was like, what would it be like for a young person to move here and fall in love and like sort of come of age in this place? And that, that was the, the inspiration for, for the book. So it's been like brewing for a couple years, for some years now. <laughs> yeah, well, we're so excited that you have birthed this, this yeah. <laughs> from all of those experiences. Thank you so much. So like the yeah and like where you were talking about the coming of age, like I am like in my thirties, and I'm an admittedly like a late bloomer, from <laughs> everything. So like I was the one that always had like relationships last, um you know like just just del delayed with that life life experiences. So to me when I when I saw Noreen like having all these experiences so young. I, I thought of like, what is, what is it like to be that young and like so impressionable and be like mature to come out from it? Because like all these experiences kind of like forms and shapes you. And what if, you know, what if you had like those experiences early on, then you, you'll be a better adult, I would think, because you would have all that learnings immediately. Mm. So I was like, it's, it was fun to play pretend. I'm like, oh, you know, I can <laughs> like this, like, girl that's spunky and like knows what she wants and like, be like I want to do this I don't care what anybody says not really I don't care but she was like you know as long as my mom's okay we're good yeah because it it's always harder I think for especially for Asian daughters to be like no I want to I want to be this I want to be that mm, and yeah it's, it's just easier to go to like the path that was kind of like set for you mm. yeah yeah and I think a Noreen is 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 lucky in two ways one is that um so if you look at her grandmother her grandmother is sort of the more traditional like you know immigrated from Asia like you have you should follow this path and still gives Ruby Noreen's mother a hard time about you know being divorced and not living her life the right way and and Ruby kind of and, and I think it's interesting because um you know, there was this huge wave of um, migration when in the 1965 um, 
Immigration Act that where they opened up immigration from Asia widely. And so a lot of people from South Asia moved at that time. And so, um, you know, that generation that was born of those immigrants, we're getting older and we're having our own children. And so it's interesting because a lot of us are grappling with um, wanting to pass down our culture, but then also wanting to be cool and woke and letting, you know, giving our kids freedom and, and all of those things. And so you see Ruby who, um, you know, wants her daughter to be culturally aware and all of that, but also wants her, wants her to be able to do whatever, not whatever the F she wants to do, but, you know, like feel like she's supported in whatever path she chooses, as long as it's like, you know, a healthy Mm-hmm. and like you know that she's not afraid to make like mistakes because it's okay to make mistakes like you learn from it and ruby's not hiding like in a film of like i'm perfect and you should you know you should just be perfect like me ruby's like this is what i am this is what i do you learn from it or you you know you make the same mistakes hopefully not but it's life it is what it is so yeah, I just want to be cool like her. That's what. I really <laughs> <want>. <laughs> the the other the other thing that Noreen is is uh, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but you know Kabir has his flaws, but he's a kind, good person, okay. and and so I think having your first love be because um, you know I I know. Yeah, if I look at my life, my friends' lives, I, our young loves weren't, oh, we didn't always make good choices, right? <laughs> like with, <laughs> and, and also I think, you know, you learn from those relationships. It's not that those like, you know, every heartbreak you, you do learn something, right? But, um, but I think they, they Noreen is, has a special experience with Kabir because they do really connect and they are both good people, so. Yeah. Going back to um, Noreen and her mom's relationship, I was just wondering, why did you choose to make Noreen such a progressive mother? Because we we recently oh, had, um, I mean, Ruby, I'm sorry. We <laughs> recently had Naima Coster on, um, on our show, and she was talking about how she is trying, she has a daughter, and she wants her to understand what it is to be free. She wants her to be a free person. And having to like, you know, break some generational things that she has gone through in order for that to happen. Why did you choose Ruby to be this person for, for Noreen? So I think I, one, you know, Ruby had a strict upbringing and, um, and she was kind of always constantly in a state of rebellion, you know, and, and I think in the back of her mind, she's like, you know, in some ways it's counterintuitive, like the stricter you are, it's always the more kids might rebel, right? Um, and the other aspect of it is that, you know, I think Ruby um, like really, really wants to have a relationship with her daughter where her daughter feels comfortable telling her, coming to her with anything and talking to her about anything, you know? And that's a relationship that Ruby doesn't have with her own mother. And so when Ruby becomes a mother, she really thinks about what kind of mother do I want to be? I want to be the kind of mother that my daughter can talk to about, about boys and, and love and, and whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, so, so, so I think Ruby is very conscious in a lot of her decisions on how to be a mother um, because there were things she was missing in a relationship with her own mother that she really wants her daughter to feel like with her. Your novel reads, you know, part love story, part coming of age, mixed with a lot of history of India. How important was it to write about these cultures, these traditions, and, you know, religion, and important, then a lot of important places um, in your novel? 
Yes. I mean, so it is, I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it's a love story. And I also think in in a lot of ways, my book is a love letter to Delhi. Um, And so it, it was, you know, part of it was like, how do I, if someone reads this book and they've never been to India, never been to Delhi, um, I like, how do I capture it on the page for them so that they kind of feel like they're there, even, you know, in their, even if it's in their imagination, but, um, and so, and, and so in that way, it was really just important to capture like the sights and the sounds and the smells and um, just even little like daily eccentricities that you would experience, you know, in daily life. Um, And then, in terms of like, you know, and, and when you're writing, it's a mega city, right, Delhi. And so when you're writing a novel set there, you obviously can't show every aspect of the city. Um, so I, you know, I was basically, um, she, she meets Kabir and Kabir basic, she falls in love with the city partly through seeing it with Kabir. And so Kabir, it's like anyone, you know, I, you, you're based in Orlando, right? So so if someone comes to, if your friend comes to Orlando and they've never been, you're going to take them to your spots, right? And like show them the things you love about Orlando. And it's, I don't know, it may not necessarily Disney World or whatever, like other people might know. You probably would, you probably know other spots that. So Kabir takes her to these ruins that are like from the 13th century, 14th century. And some of them are tourist spots and some of them no one really, not many people know about. Like some of them she would not have even have seen, very likely, very unlikely she would have seen them if if she hadn't met him and he hadn't taken her there. Um, So she kind of gets this tour of like medieval Delhi and the places that he loves um, and, and, you know, sees this like side of Delhi that's very special to him. And then because of that becomes very special to them, both of them. Shout out to Kabir. This is so nice. Because I'm like, what? Like, how is it that she gets like this awesome dude when all of my exes are trash? Jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is he so nice? I mean, he has flaws, but I think it, all of us have that, you know, that that part of him that just wanted to be like secluded when things are getting rough. Everybody has that, but I'm like, he is, he's so nice. Like how? Yeah. <laughs> was he based off of anybody that you knew? Was he a combination? Of- uh, um, so, well, his, his love for um, like the ruins and like, like medieval buildings in Delhi is, um, is based on my husband who, who, you know, who, who research, who does his research around a lot of these ruins and, and has taken me to a lot of them. So that was kind of personal. Um, in terms of his character, he's kind of an amalgam of like, you know, there's, there's a few sort of 20 somethings that I know in Delhi that are like really nice people and like a little bit lost, you know, but like have good heart. So I was, I was kind of imagining them also when I was, when I was like creating Kabir. So the beginning of your novel begins with um, with Noreen grieving the anniversary. It's during the anniversary of her aunt, Sonia. And we see her decide to defer her first year of college. So she cannot, um, she cannot um, accompany, she, so she can only, you know, go out and accompany her mom. So she goes on this, on this trip with her to India, but to also allow her time to grieve. How did you come about having that that be like the start of of her making this decision of her being in this in this uh, grieving state? 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to pinpoint because someone else asked me that recently, like, why, why the grief? And it's not that, and you know, I, now if you ask me, I feel like we're surrounded by grief because of the pandemic, right? But this, you know, I was writing this years ago when we couldn't even have imagined, right, the, the future. And, um, and I think I was just thinking about how, um, especially when you're young, you kind of think everyone close to you is just, is always going to be around, you know, um, and the, at least until you're much older and, and when someone you're close to sort of dies quickly because, you know, her aunt gets diagnosed and it's like six months, um, until she dies, it can be, it can really like take the rug out of your, under, from out from underneath your feet, because you realize that like anything can happen and, and you can't take anything for granted. Um, and it just, and she, she has to kind of recalibrate. Um, and, and also, you know, thinking about her, her nephews and how they lost their mother and being so close to her mother. It just, you know, it's a lot for her to process. And also I think, and I read this somewhere, um, I think it maybe was a New York times essay. So while I was writing this book and it was talking about how people talk about the seven stages of grief, um, and and sometimes there's an attitude. I th so someone had written a letter. So maybe it was an advice column. <laughs> someone had written letters saying, you know, I don't know if it was their partner or someone or their parent, but the person that they had died years ago. And the, and the letter writer is saying, I'm still grieving. I'm still in so much pain. I don't understand why, because it's been so long. And by now, shouldn't I be better? Shouldn't it be fine? And, and the response was, you know, it was really beautifully written it was basically like, you know, grief never goes away. It's always there. And, um, and it's just something you have to learn to live with. And instead of thinking of your, of the, of the grief you still carry as something that you need to fight against or be ashamed of, think of it as a reflection of the depth of the love that you had for that person. I thought, oh, that's a really beautiful way to put it. Because I do think, you know, some people feel, oh, if someone died a couple of years ago, they don't even want to like talk about it because they think people will think, oh, well, you know, you, it's been so long, you should be okay. And I think, I think, and Noreen's young too. So she feels a bit like, she's also like, what's wrong with me? You know, it's why am I still suffering so much? And why can't I get over this? And um, so those are, I was just kind of thinking about all those things in, in my head. And then I thought this is a good starting point of like, you know, it's been a year and she's at her graduation and she should be celebrating and part of her is, but there's part of her that's still so sad and she just doesn't know what to do, you know. It's interesting for us because every single novel we've read since January has dealt with grief in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, you know, even if it is as small as, you know, just one character passing away, there's something about reading these books, especially after the year that we've had and the year that we're currently in and, and having to come up on anniversary after anniversary of people who've passed away. It really teaches you to how, you know, help you how to deal with all of that grief. So I wanna thank you for touching on that aspect. I know we never realized that we would be where we are. Um, there is one part in in your novel that I that I love. It, it was it's just mentioned just a little bit, but it was Noreen is writing a screenplay, and when explaining some of her inspiration, she speaks about the Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. um, did you use that relationship between Rory and Lorelai <laughs> Gilmore as inspiration for Noreen and and her mother? Ruby? And, yeah. I, and, I, and I also have a second 
question to that because mm-hmm. there's an episode towards the end of one of the seasons where Rory graduates and they decide that they're going to go backpacking through Europe and everything. And then the next season starts back when they're coming back from their trip. And this this book feels like this is what would have happened on that trip. So can you just let me know? if? Yeah, <laughs> it definitely um, was inspired by Gilmore Girls. And I, I saw, I watched Gilmore Girls like shortly before I started writing this book. And it's interesting because one of the reasons, I mean, it, it had been on my radar, but one of the reasons I watched it is because two different people told me it was their favorite show and they were both um, South Asian men, you know? And I was like, well, Gil, and they're like, I love this show, love this show. And I'm like, I gotta watch this because if these two dudes, South Asian dudes are super into it, you know? <laughs> so, so I watched it and I, I just, I really, I mean, the whole, the heart of that show is, like, you know, the two of them, Roy and Lorelai and their banter and, you know, just their relationship. And um, and I thought, I, oh, I would love to sort of be able to write about this relationship. Like not that not their relationship, but but a similar, like a mother and daughter who are really close and also are able to like just be really silly and like joke around and have their own traditions and you know um so yeah it was definitely inspired by by Gilmore Girls <laughs> um, we I love Gilmore Girls I've watched Gilmore Girls I think since it aired and when they did the Netflix show I almost lost my shit <laughs> oh my god they're back and you know I think there needs to be more so I was like she likes it too yay yeah 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 novel it was just you know it's the little things that make us happy when when we read novels (laughs) so speaking about your novel the marvelous Mirza girls covers varying topics outside of the main love story between Noreen and Karib um why did you choose to tackle some of those such as you know it it gets heavier the me too movement the pollution in India racism within your novel yeah. So the well, the so Delhi is one of the most polluted cities in the world, and especially from especially in the winter, because anyway, in the winter, like the fog kind of settles, and they burn fires close by in Punjab. So all the they burn the agricultural fire, so they set fields on fire, um, and a lot of the smoke comes. So so between like like in November, December, January. It is, there are days when the sky just looks like an apocalyptic, you know? And so living in Delhi, it's it's just, pollution is part of, of your everyday life. And um, everyone has air purifiers. You, you're checking the app, the air pollution app to see like, how bad is the air today? Like, how should, can I be outside for more than 10, you know? And, um, and it's interesting too, because some of the people, like I remember when, when we were living there in 2018, I was talking to, we had a driver and I was talking to a driver, our driver, and he was saying that, oh, the pollution, it doesn't really affect people, us people who, who were born in, in Delhi and raised here because our lungs are stronger um, than, than yours because you're not used to the pollution. And I was like, and, and you know, I had just read The Guardian had done a, a study, had reported on, they did a study of the auto rickshaw drivers. So, you know, the autos, you know, they're, they're these like three-wheeler vehicles and they're all open. So they're driving all day in the pollution and also in the traffic, right? So all the exhaust is coming, you know? So they tested their lungs and these auto drivers had an average of, their lung capacity was 50% as opposed to a hundred, 
you know? And so I'm just thinking, I'm listening to my drivers say this and I'm like, it's not true. Like pollution is pollution. It doesn't matter where you were born and, you know, like it's hurting, hurting all of us. And, and the sad thing is that wealthier people in Delhi can buy these air purifiers, right. And, and have some protection from it. And put, I mean, like, you know, like with most things and then poor people are suffer the most. Right. So so it, I was like, if I'm going to write, it's hard. If, if you read a novel about Delhi and it doesn't mention pollution, I, I don't know. <laughs> like it doesn't seem. <laughs> but, and then, and then the Me Too movement when I, so I was like, we were there all of 2018 and that's when sort of the Me Too movement took off in, in India. And it was a really interesting time to be there because there was this, um, like there's a lot of hope in the air. I think so. You know, to, before like there's you know a lot of sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, but women just did not talk about it. And suddenly these women, and and most of these women were sort of you know upper middle class women who had some privilege, but still even the fact that they were tweeting about it and talking about it and saying this happened to me, that was huge. Like that just did not happen before, right? In Bollywood too, like suddenly actresses are speaking out and saying this happened to me and he did this to me. And there was kind of this hope that things would change. And, and I, the dramatic change hasn't happened, right? But, you know, it, it's still progress. Um, so, so that was definitely something that I was experiencing when I was in Delhi through this, this Me Too movement. Um, and then I was thinking about, you know, there, there were a lot of men in, in Kabir's father's generation who consider themselves like very like liberal, you know, and, but if you looked at how they kind of treated women, it was not, you know, they were like, they could be like kind of creepy uncles. And, um, and so what happened in this, when this Me Too movement took off is that some of the men that were being accused were these men who thought I'm an intellectual liberal, I'm a great guy, you know, and these women were like, saying, well, actually, you know, you grabbed my breast or you did this, you know, and that's not cool. And, and there was this, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of a reckoning and there's, there was pushback, you know, you know, from, from the men. But so I was thinking about that and thinking about Kabir and like, you know, his dad, what is it like if, if um, you're Kabir and you, you want to be a good man and yet you look around you and of your father's generation, you don't have that many role models of like, what does it mean to be a feminist, like a male feminist, you know? And so those were all, that was also all kind of brewing in my mind when I was, when I was working on the book. Which of the characters that you that you wrote throughout the book, we were just wondering which one of those were your your favorite to write? My favorite to write. So I mean, I love Ruby. <laughs> she can be a hot mess sometimes, but I love that. Um, I could she, you know, she's she's also like, I I, I think it's I, I, I really enjoy actually narratives as someone who's in my forties now of like women who are um because I just see like I sit down with my girlfriends and we just talk and it's like you know if you look at us we have all the things like some of us have kids um, a lot of us have mortgages we have the jobs and yet we're still like screwing up and messing up and you know and learning and so um so it was fun to write sort of this woman in her 40s who who has a career and has a daughter and it's like you know, together and yet still like, you know, having adventures and being a little wild sometimes and, and all of that. Um, and then, you know, I love, and, and then just writing, writing Noreen and Kabir's relationship and just, just this really like tender romance is, 
it was it just like warmed my own heart when I was writing it. So. I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous here. Like, I I think that was like one of one of like my most favorites is when like you know the when they were like meeting up and like just the progression of like how their how their friendship and relationship kind of you know came to fruition yeah y'all have to read it to find out what that meant but <laughs> <laughs> we're trying not to spoil because so we don't you know when people hear this they will have just gotten out into the world yeah, so we're we'll, trying not to spill the beans really <laughs> up their interest you know and yeah who didn't want to be ruby like i'm now also a parent and i'm still a mess and i'm like <laughs> How did I become this? Like, how, who, who, who let me become a parent? <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but we try. We try to be adults. We try to be cool. You know, but we try yeah. to be ourselves. And so Ru- Ruby's way cooler than me. But I, you know, we all identify. <laughs> I identify sometimes with the mom, with the aunts, and sometimes with Noreen. So, yeah. it, so it, 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 was, it was very fun because you can you can attach yourself to the different at least to me to the different like female characters and be like yes I'm also judgy like you so go (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny I sometimes I my girls are three and seven and sometimes I when I, I I'm like oh man I think they're looking at me like at, they're still at the age when they think I know, like I know a lot and like, I, and I'm like, wow, you, you are looking at me like I know everything and you have no idea. Like, <laughs> 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 oh man, wouldn't it be great to be able to go back to your and ask your mom, like, so at what point did you realize, like, you didn't know what you were doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, how is it still that thing? Like, let us know. <laughs> Yeah, we had a recent interview with like Brian. Um, I think his book also comes out the same day as yours, and he's our nonfiction pick for for May. And he said that the older that we get, the smarter our parents look like. Mm, and I'm like, yes, that's true. Yeah, it's like you know, because when we're teenagers, like I know this, I don't need you. But <laughs> when you reach a certain point, I'm like damn she was right she's still right <laughs> yeah and you and I think you start to appreciate things about them that you might not have appreciated before too when you get older absolutely yeah so this is this is this is this is really like my question I was so intrigued why Noreen chose to do stand-up yeah <laughs> so um so she, when the book opens, like it is the most, like if you were told her at the start of the book, you were like, Noreen, I think you should stand up on a stage and, and do some stand up comedy. She would have been like, are you out of your goddamn mind? Like that is like my nightmare. Um, and, and like her dream is to like be in the writer's room and like tucked away and like writing and then other people go out and perform it or like bring it to life. Um, and so, and then when she's in Delhi, it just, something in her in her like you know she's changing as a person she's discovering herself and then she has that moment with a Bollywood celebrity and it just almost I mean it's it's been in there but it, she's not still not expecting when it comes out she says I'm gonna do stand-up comedy and then when she says it she's like you know what like I'm gonna do it this thing that I am terrified of doing that I never in a million years before would have thought I wanted to do 
you know, I'm going to do it and I'm going to write and I'm going to stand up on a stage. I'm going to perform my writing in front of like an audience. And, um, and it becomes this, like, you know, there's this goal of hers and, and she does it. And, and she leaves Delhi kind of on that high note of having done something that, you know, and I think that is something about, and then not just in India, but like, sometimes when you live abroad, you do things that you never could have imagined yourself doing before you went there, you know? And so for Noreen, that's, that's her thing that's what she does. I'm afraid of public speaking. So <laughs> that to me, that was like, I think, you know, that was just like a, a big kind of like, you know, she started as a seed and now she has like grown into like a little flower. So it was it was nice to see, and I'm just like, yep. I guess I'm living vicariously through her now and her mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beauty of books, right? You get to have <laughs> vicariously. <laughs> now you you spoke about it earlier in regards to the air pollution um, in India, and we were just wondering why did you choose to have the quality the air quality as as each start of the of the chapters? Yeah. So so um, it, it's funny because. Uh, so, so when I'm, before I moved to India, um, when I moved to India, my, the first time I lived in India was 2009, the pollution wasn't that bad. So back in 2009, people weren't talking about air quality index and it, that it, it's, and weren't wearing masks or thinking if they should wear a mask. But by 2018, and then it slowly started getting worse, getting worse, getting worse, like year by year. And by 2018, it was like, you know, Delhi is the most, it was, it was hitting number one on the most polluted lists and all of that. And, um, and air quality index became such an important number because if it's above this, if it's, you know, and, and so like uh, you would have an app and, and uh, so first of all, on the air purifier, it would tell you the real time, like air quality index of the room, right? So, so that's always kind of on your radar, right? And if it's blue, then it's under 50. And if it's yellow, then it's this or whatever. Um, and then, and then every morning you wake up and you check an app or like before you go out, you check the app but, and it tells you the air quality index. And so it's just this constant, figure it's almost like you check the weather like is it raining you know is it going to be sunny it's it's like it becomes part it's like part of your daily life um and so I thought you know it would be it, it would be and so I played with it a little bit right and I was like let's be creative and like make it the chapter heading because anyway um it is something that like Noreen would be checking before she like left the flat or before um and then I you know if you look at the air quality index um because sometimes it's uh you know, dangerous for sensitive people, like they have different levels. And so sometimes it's like, you can see that what happens in the chapter, like the air quality index reflects that, so. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it was really, really high at the start yeah. of the chapters. And I was like, I wonder if it has to do, if they correlate. <laughs> for answering that question, that was my yeah. <laughs> so Did I? How, how have you decided to, to go into the world of um, young adult fiction? Yeah, so I, um, I hadn't really thought about, about writing young adult until I, I entered my MFA program. And, and, you know, a lot of MFA, MFA, and I think this is changing now. I went to my MFA back in 2005. And back then, a lot of the MFA programs were very, um, like, uh, snobby about genre. And so... Um, sci-fi, fantasy, young adult, all those things were not taught and not like it, it was all about how writing like literary fiction, you know, and, um, and so for the first time, so Kevin Brockmeyer, who writes for adults and, and for children, um, 
offered an elective that was called children's fiction writing workshop. And as I, I'm pretty sure the first time the history of like the MFA program, I that they had this elective. And so I'm like, oh, that sounds like something different, you know? And, and so I took his workshop and, um, and I started writing this, this young adult novel that was loosely based on, on my, in like when I was a teenager, um, or inspired by when I was when I was a teenager and coming of age, and I just really really enjoyed it, and so I continued working on it, you know, after that semester and kept working on it, and um, I just really enjoyed sort of talking about that time of life and 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 that voice, um, and so and then I sold that novel that was Skunk Girl shortly right around graduation, um, and just kind of found I, I just just I like it just. To me, it's such a fascinating time of your life, you know, when you're kind of learning, discovering who you are and, um, and, you know, with all the highs and lows, right? Because um, like first loves and first heartbreaks and first this and first that and, um, and making mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes maybe don't have as many consequences because you're young or sometimes they have more consequences because you're, I mean, there's so much to like grapple with and talk about and play with. Um, and so, yeah, so now, you know, four let's, books later. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the Iowa program. Cause I, we've had several writers who've also gone through, through that workshop. And I was just wondering like, what was that like for you? Um, did you ever find any difficulty, especially um, being a Southeastern woman, you know, coming in, you know, like to, writing your book and and we know that publishing is is uh, dominantly a, a a very white uh space what was that experience like for you being at that school during especially yeah yeah so um it it has changed a lot <laughs> since 2005 but when I was there um so I, you can't quote me on this, but I want to say there was not a single black man in the program. I think there was maybe one or two black women on the fiction side. Um, and there was me and maybe one other one or two like Asian Americans. Um, so, you know, not many minorities and, and it was still sort of back, you know, I remember sort of having this sense of like what I, cause I, I, I've always written about brown people right my characters are always brown my, my main characters and uh and like when going to workshop and just and kind of thinking so when I when I was writing I would be thinking about well what are I wouldn't be imagining a white reader you know what I mean like what are they gonna think because that's when I went to workshop it was mostly white readers who were critiquing my work um so and then right my my second year they brought Samantha Chang on as the new director and I know you know I think one of her goals was to diversify the workshop and, and so you know she's done a lot of work towards that but but yeah it was um it it it, it was a good experience but um it was definitely not as diverse as I would have liked it to be and I think that probably I, I think in 2005, you could probably say that about most MFA programs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're really hoping that, you know, things have changed with, you know, the years that have packed on after 2005. But, you know, it's, it's just the reality that we were living and still kind of living, you know, up to this point. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you from, you know, from what I see, from my, from my little perch, I think the students, 
have for sure, I can't speak for every MFA program, but I'm, I'm thinking of Vanderbilt, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, the students have, are definitely more diverse. Is the faculty always more diverse? Nah. And, and that's and it's the same thing about the publishing industry. We have a lot of diverse authors, but if you look at the higher ups in the, you know, in corporate, are they getting more diverse? So, um, so it'll be a great day when I think the faculty and the people in the industry are as representative as the students and the authors are becoming. Hopefully that comes sooner, sooner than later. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So we saw today that you made a special video. We want to say okay. Yeah. Oh, it's been um, such an emotional time. You're hard to copy in your hand. And, um, what, what is that to like, to finally see your book like bound and ready for people. Yeah, it's been a really crazy time because, um, you know, Delhi is a city that's close to my heart, obviously. Um, and, you know, obviously my book is set there and I could never have imagined that when my book was coming out, Delhi would be hit by this catastrophic second wave. Um, and, you know, for the past few weeks, Every time we make a call to India, we find out about someone else who's sick or someone else who's passed away or someone else who's on oxygen. Um, so it's just, it's been really, it's been a roller coaster because there's part of you that feels almost guilty that you're not there, you know, but then there's part of you that's like, well, if I was there, I'd probably be sick, you know, and, um, and wanting to do more to help and feeling helpless. Um, and so you know, and then I was working on this, this fundraising auction, and that's kind of channeling all my energies into that. And that just wrapped up this weekend. And so when I opened my book today, we just found out that um, all of the winning bids total more than $50,000. And that's going to go to India COVID relief. And so that was really exciting. And I just got really overwhelmed, like looking at my book. And it's just it's been it's been wild. <laughs> really wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm glad yeah, that thank you. y'all were able to raise so much money. And, you know, it's special to to share that day with you today on, you know, finding out that, you know, us doing this conversation about that book. Because um, I also, I also, I come from the Philippines, so I have that guilt as well of like, I'm here, I can't really do much everybody over there is suffering but then if i'm there then i would probably also be sick so you know what what do you do how do you like balance balance all of that and it's just a lot of like that immigrant guilt mm -hmm. of you know trying to be better but also kind of like feeling stuck so yeah, exactly. i think you know it it's it's empowering to see you know do you doing that um fundraising it's kind of like us all pitching together to make some some difference and trying to help the best way that we can because you know that's 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 really the only thing that we can do mm. is to help yeah 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 and it was really it was really heartwarming to see like how many people came out and like donated things and, and bid and um so you think, okay, like people do want to help, you know, people do care. <laughs> um, it's not just, it's not just the people who are from that country originally. So, you know, we all know you did like a total of four books now. Um, there's a lot of life, you know, changing things that have happened like to you personally and to the world. 
how has your writing changed like from you know from where you first started from skunk girl up to like you know with the mirrors of girls yeah I mean I think you're uh, well part of it is I, I you know in my books um a lot of it is just a reflection of the things that I'm thinking about you know the things that I've been thinking about and um, kind of pondering uh, are the things I end up writing about. Like I want to explore these things more, and and because I'm a fiction writer, I do it through through na- fictional narrative. But so, for example, Skunk Girl, I think that was largely came from a, a hole in my heart of like growing up and and reading books like major like mostly only books about white girls, you know, and never seeing a book about a brown girl. And and so I think that was just me writing the book that I always wished I had. Um, and then that thing we call a heart, you know, I started thinking a lot about partition and um, the partition of Indian Pakistan in 1947 and how it was this hugely traumatic event. It was the largest mass migration in human history. They estimate up to 2 million people died. And, um, and because it was, you know, uh, like, like Muslim and Hindu and Sikh communities, like th- there's not like a good guy or a bad guy in that narrative, right? There were some heroes and there were some villains in every community. And I think the way that people handled it was, you know, they migrated and then they were just like, we're not gonna, they just didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about what happened. And so I remember, and so, and and and, and I think a lot of it also, I, you know, I I had my first child and I was just thinking about sort of intergenerational trauma and like, if, if you undergo that kind of trauma and you don't talk about it, well, where does it go and how does it affect future generations? You know, so in that thing we call a heart, there's like a partition narrative where the protagonist learns about a bit of her family's history during partition. Um, Mariam Sharma hits the road was like, it's a road trip through the South and it's kind of like a fun novel and it's about the importance of friendship and the beauty of friendship. And then this one is, you know, my, my sort of ode to Delhi and to first love. And also, you know, it is a political book in a way, because in the background, you know, India has, has a right wing government. Um, and it's a government that's very anti minorities. And um, it's, there's not really freedom of press. And it, like, people say, like, imagine Trump on steroids, you know, <laughs> and like, you have what's going on in India. And so that's been on my mind, um, because India is the world's greatest democracy. And, and that's changing. Um, so what happens to to a country that that part of, if if part of its beauty is diversity, then what happens when you have a leader who says, you know, you know, no, like upper ha- upper caste Hindus are the only like rightful people, you know, should be in power. And so, um, yeah, and, and I also think becoming a mother um, made me think, you know, like think about like my, the characters of the mothers more in my young adult novels and like, who are they as people and what are they struggling through? And, you know, what are they thinking about? So, yeah. What are you most excited for people to read within this book without giving anything away? Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, I'm definitely excited for people, um, you know, people who haven't been to Delhi to hopefully kind of get a sense of the city um, I'm excited for people who have, who know Delhi, just to kind of maybe recognize certain, certain aspects of it in there. Um, I'm excited for people to kind of go on that, that crazy roller coaster ride of first love, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I, I, I really, 
my you know if 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 I can get a reader to um, laugh and maybe and cry a little bit and think a little bit, then I am like I am happy. <laughs> you know that's, that's that's then I've done what I set out to do. Okay, all the boxes. <laughs> Check them off. <laughs> we we we've we we've done all of that so i think you you've done we're happy we were laughing we we're thinking so i think i think the people would be very excited to read um the mirrors of girls but um we could never imagined what our world was going to look like at the stroke of midnight in 2020 COVID has taken away so much from us and currently um, in Southeast Asia, specifically India, um, is seeing unprecedented numbers of death from COVID. Um, we know that you have been speaking on this matter and you did a fundraising event. Um, could you please highlight any organizations that you would encourage people to donate in order to help the people of this country? Yeah, so so we our funds are going to um, so you can donate, I think, directly to UNICEF India in rupees um, and through through a, through a U.S. credit card. But there's also a UNICEF U.S. India COVID relief program. So that's where where we've been fundraising money for. And there's also a program called Mission Oxygen. Um, which is which you can donate to, and those are sort of the two. There's a lot of local organizations in India that are also on the ground, but sometimes you have to wire them money or you have to get the money in rupees. And so, for people in the U.S. in North America, I would say that um, UNICEF and Mission Oxygen are the two organizations that it's, that's easy easy to donate to and also trustworthy that they're doing good work on the ground. Awesome. We'll make sure to tag all that information. Um, in in our in our website and on the on for the podcast um, so we want to know bef- before we get to our our last major question uh, we just want to know like what's next for you you know touring or you know anything uh, in the future anything that you're working on I don't know what what do you have yeah so <laughs> I have I have some events lined up you gotta do your events when the book comes out and they're all virtual um nothing's really gone back in person I do have an in-person event planned in the fall for the book but you know ho- and hopefully it will be in person hopefully in the fall we're able to, to do that um uh, so so yeah doing some marvelous Mar- marvelous music girls events and then um I, I have I've written two short stories and in one of the short stories, Noreen is a protagonist and the other short story, Ruby is a protagonist. And so I want to get these two short stories done and then I'm going to think about my next book project. I haven't really had the headspace, you know, with a pandemic and two young kids, it's been hard to um, kind of even have the headspace to sit back. And with everything going on, you know, with India to sit back and just be like, okay, let's breathe and let's think about what do I want to write next? And so I'm hoping that at some point, like this summer, um, I'll be able to do that. So okay. well, hopefully, because it takes, I, I have a child, so I know it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of space yeah. with the <laughs> pandemic. So yeah. <laughs> and with the pandemic, you, you just worry like tenfold about everybody yourself. And yeah the world so you know take your time we'll be here you know we'll be waiting mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so can wait. So you gotta be okay first before you know before you can write yeah. and yeah do, do all these wonderful stuff yeah. so before we close out we always wanted to ask our top five 
books uh, for you? What are your top five books? Oh, like, like, uh, well, hmm, it's, it's hard for me to do like the ever, ever question. So let me tell you top five books that I've read. Of course, I will, I will add that <laughs> with these questions. I feel like, you know, they have, they, they say you get pregnancy brain, right? I feel like I got pregnancy brain twice and it just like never went away. So, so um, <laughs> It doesn't go away. Yeah. It doesn't go away, right? <laughs> and sometimes people will be like, "What? What's your favorite movie?" And I'll just like everything I ever saw in my life was black. Like I'm like, uh, you know. <laughs> but, um, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. So, but uh, so um, behind the beautiful forevers by um, Matangi Subramaniam. That it's a book set in India, also, and and one of the reasons I love it is because. It, it's set in a slum in Bangalore. And so it's about, you know, poor working class people. And, and um, it's really a joy to read because it shows that obviously they, they have struggles and they, they face all these difficulties, but they also have happiness and joy in their life, you know, and it just, and, it, and the writing is beautiful. So that's one. Um, the book by Rumin Alam, uh, ladies, uh, the world, the world. No, <laughs> see, I told you behind. I always get the title wrong, and she corrects me. Like, we know yes. it's, the, it's the blue cover. The blue yeah. cover. Her niece is in yes. the class of Ruman Alam, so we talked yeah. about it all the time. Behind, something. Sorry, sorry, Man, if you're listening, we apologize. Behind the oh Lord, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. So that book and that book was really, I read that during the pandemic or obviously, and that was super intense, right. To read. Um, but really just really well, like so well done. Um, and then, uh, electric. King what? Leave the world behind. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, electric kingdom by David Arnold. Um, was another great read this year and that's a post-apocalyptic and that this this is great he also written but he wrote it before the pandemic and in the book I, the premise is that there's been like this um these flies that carry this virus so there's this like crazy virus that's kind of wiped out most of the world and um so, <laughs> yeah can you, and then he has no idea in real life he's writing this book that when his book comes out it's going to be during it it's viral pandemic it's crazy but that was a really and what I loved about that book because sometimes you think oh do I want to read a book like this during a pandemic but it was also about how um you know the world was falling apart but this crew of people these survivors were still like you know falling in love and like making a life for themselves you know and having these adventures um so that was really good um between the World and Me by Tani C. Coates is one of my favorites. That's such a beautiful book. Um, and I think that last, the very end of that book for me is one of just about, it's like brutal and intense and just, I don't know if you remember, but he's basically, you know, he, he writes this like amazing thought provoking book. And then at the end, he's like, also, by the way, climate change the world is being destroyed and if we don't change that like nothing else and you're just like oh my god <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.